We are in uh, Galatians 3 and at verse 19, which is not exactly a section heading, but uh, the section is the law and the promise. And this is about, I don't know, would you say halfway through the section, something along those lines? The section. The section, yeah. yeah well, we're almost halfway through the yeah, yeah. book as well. So I'm just going to read and we'll talk, unless you have a question right away, John. Okay. Why then, Paul asks, was the law given at all? Or does your NIV say purpose or something like that? What was the purpose of the law? Oh, okay. Well, it was, it was, oh, curb, mirror, and guide. Yeah. Yep. We are in Galatians 3.19. So why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Um, so that in the first half of the verse, the law was added uh, because of sin, because of transgressions, um, until the seed, who is Christ, um, had come. He was the promised Savior, but the the law told us or told God's people uh, in the in the three uses of the law. First of all, the curb is to keep culture, society together, basically in a broad terms. The second use of the law is as a mirror, which shows us our flaws and our sins and our need for a savior. And the third use of the law, which is only available to believers. So in ancient times, I would have said it's only for the children of Israel. In our times today, it is only for Christians, the third use of the law, which is as a guide. So how can you please God? Well, no one who is not a believer can please God. That's why the law as a guide isn't for unbelievers. It's only for, for Christians today. Um, and uh, however, uh, here, the law was given, is really the law as a mirror, um, in the in the verse, the law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. Well, there are only about two verses in the Bible that talk about the angels involved in the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Because um, usually we think of God talking directly to Moses as the stuff is being carved into stone by a lightning bolt or something like that or or the finger of God, or whatever it is. But here we're told that it was given through angels and entrusted to the mediator. This is a reference to Deuteronomy 32, 33, verse 2. And uh, I have that verse here. Moses said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Sair. Sair is the next mountain over from Sinai, kind of, or the next mountain range over in, uh, across the Gulf of Aqaba. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes, and so forth. So God coming from holy ones to Mount Sinai, God coming out of the east to God's people who are waiting for him in the mountain in the west. Uh, a mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. A reference to Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So God is one, but a mediator implies more than one. Um, so is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Does the law contradict the gospel? Yes. 
Paul asks, and, and no, absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the law didn't impart life. It showed how eternal life is possible through obedience. But then it shows at the same time, at exactly the same time, how, am I not, how have I disobeyed? How am I not obedient? So how have I failed? Um, so the law is holy and flawless, but it can't bring righteousness. It can only condemn the sinner and guide those who are forgiven. And there is the law as a guide. So for example, we take the Ten Commandments and we understand how they could please God and we want to please God. So the Ten Commandments, which are still the moral law for us, um, shows us how we can do God's will. So for example, I won't take on any other gods. I try not to misuse God's name. Um, I want to remember the Sabbath day, although even that one is fulfilled in Christ. So do I have to worship on the Sabbath day? No, I can worship on any day. And in fact, Christian churches have decided to worship on Sunday instead of the Sabbath day, which would have been the end of Friday into most of Saturday. That's the Sabbath day. But we've chosen to worship on what the, in the New Testament is called the Lord's Day. It's Easter. It's the, a, a little picture of the resurrection. In St. Paul's and many churches, although I, I, I don't have the St. John's uh, stained glass windows memorized, but at St. Paul's, there are swoopy, plant-shaped, curvy things around the pictures in the stained glass windows. All of those are Easter lilies. That's what they represent. Um, and sometimes they'll have like two bulbs below and four above or whatever, but the, the numbers are insignificant. The imagery is of Easter and the resurrection. So, so verse 22. Um, and I'm just, I, I don't know if I said this before, but I'm reading from the Evangelical Heritage Version, not the NIV. Okay, just so we are all on the same page about that. Um, so, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. Um, so, uh, uh, whereas the, 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 the law, the scriptures, um, have bound our consciences, driven us to despair over our sin, the promise is given to those with faith in Christ because at the same time that we know our sinfulness, we also have this amazing Savior. Um, and so this, the promise is given to those who believe. Um, and by the way, that's a simultaneous moment. Coming to faith, knowing the promise, having the promise, having the blessings, that's all part of the doctrine of justification. Now, Paul is going to move into the difference between justification, being saved, and sanctification, showing our faith and showing that we're living a life of the saved. Um, but they're two different things, and that's the, 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 the two halves, really, of Galatians. Okay. Then children of God. So before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. Like I said, the despairing of the law. Locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. And Paul, notice that Paul talks about faith as if everybody came to faith just last year. 
This is to make the point more vivid. Um, and when Paul is talking to the Galatians, he is talking about people who came to faith in their adult life. It wasn't from baptism for most of them. Because remember, Galatia is that S-shaped central part of Asia Minor, kind of in the cruddy part of Turkey. Um, they really did come to faith later. Um, and it was, it, was, it was not their whole lives like it is for us, except for a few. And one of those was the kid from Lystra and Derby that has been traveling with Paul. Do you remember his name? He becomes a pastor later on. It's Timothy. He was baptized into the faith as a child, um, but, but he had also been circumcised, but he was also baptized. Um, and so for him, it was from infancy, Paul says, you have known the scriptures later on in, in, in one of the letters. Okay, so the law was our guardian. I want to talk about that word in a minute. Until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. And the Greek word for guardian is paedagogos, which uh, the, the, the first element of that, the paid, it looks like the word paid in English, is the, the part of the Greek word for child. A paedas is a child. So ago is to go or lead. This is somebody who leads by the hand. You, you know how you lead, a lot, lead around a toddler? You have to take their hand, like in the grocery store or whatever, and you literally can't let go of them. Because who knows well, they're, where they'll end up in two minutes if you do. Um, I know where they'll end up. They'll end up in the potato chip aisle with a bag of chips open. and you know. Uh, so, so, Daddy, I can open Pringles. Pop. Oh, hear that from three aisles away. Oh, no, that's mine. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Look at the word uh, in verse 27. Um, uh, baptized, do you notice that it has a helping verb in English? Do you know your helping verbs? Did you have to memorize the helping verbs as a kid? I did. The, these, these are the helping verbs. Is, be, am, are, was, were, been, being, may, might, must, do, did, does, has, have, had, can, could, shall, should, will, would. Those are the helping verbs in English that I had to memorize as a middle schooler. Yeah. So. And, uh, but one of those that I just said is the word were. So helping verbs help you with the tense. Were baptized, and in this case also, the um, not just the tense. Well, in this case, it is the tense, which is passive. So it's it's past and it's passive, which means this happened to you. For that's voice, not tense. But um, so baptism is not something you do to yourself, right? It's something that's done to you. Um, whereas, like uh, to bathe is something you could do for yourself, but baptism is not something you do for yourself. You have it done to you. Um, there's a famous um, hypothetical scene painted by St. Augustine where he says, imagine for a moment two unbelievers survive a shipwreck and they're in, a, in, a, in, in, the, in the ship's jolly boat. That's a small lifeboat, really only big enough for a boat. It's like, a, like, like what we would think of as a bass boat, 
you know, or a, or a wide canoe. That's, that's a jolly boat, a small one. And he says, and they have nothing but a Bible. And in that, in that jolly boat, after the sinking of the ship, and he's, he's really picturing this, Augustine is, because he's from North Africa, he's picturing people shipwrecked on the Mediterranean Sea. And he's thinking, they're probably going to die out there. So they, maybe they'll be rescued, but probably not. That's Augustine's matter of fact, like, yeah, most people die out there. And so, but he says, but they have a Bible. And they begin to read the Bible, and they come to faith through reading the scriptures, which you can do. It's possible. In fact, that's how we all really, based on the word of God, become God's children. And Augustine says, but they read, and they begin to have an understanding of faith and baptism and so forth. And one of them asks the other if he would baptize him. Well, are they both believers? Yeah, they've become believers. And if one of them asks to be baptized, could the one who was a believer but not yet baptized baptize the other one? And the answer is yes, he could. Um, and in fact, we don't know, for example, if all of Jesus' apostles, the 12 apostles, were all of them baptized when they began to baptize themselves? I would like to think that they all were, but we're not told that. So it has to be an open, this, this is an example of a true open question. I don't know. I think they were all baptized, and eventually they were all baptized. But could they, like could, for example, St. Uh, Thomas, I'll just pick one. Could he have been baptized a couple people before he himself was baptized? Yeah, maybe. Faith, if you will, if, you will, if you'll understand my, my, my example, is the liquid that gives us life and health, right? Baptism is the glass. It's the container we, we get it from. Without baptism, we don't get it. So baptism is not a mere symbol. It is how it's conferred to us. This is how God gives it. So in, 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 in baptism, God offers the forgiveness of sins, and he also gives it. So if it were only a symbol, it would be the offering only. But it also gives what it offers. So it's both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, now, for an adult, baptism is, I, I'm going to use a different word, which is a seal. Um, and they used to talk about seals because in their, in their days of letter writing, a seal, in legal documents, a seal was really important. In our day, a seal isn't so important. But if you're mailing a check, what's really the, what, what has replaced the seal? It's the glue on the back of the envelope, right? That's really what, that's what keeps things secure. <clears throat> but in ancient times, it was the seal because it meant that it couldn't be opened and altered. Um, um, in fact, it was, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting now if it was a czar of Russia or a king of England and it wasn't that long ago, who invented the stapler. I think it was the Tsar of Russia. It was maybe Alexander, the Alexander who died in the Russian Revolution, Alexander II, who was, who was his, his daughter was Anastasia. Okay, that Alexander. I think it was his father, Alexander I, invented the stapler um, because he liked to have gold seals on everything and their glue in Russia was bad. 
And so he invented this machine that would chunk. Oh, the gold seal is on there now. To just to put gold seals on all of his documents. That's why he came up with. He was a creative guy. And thanks, Alex. We got staplers now. You know. But anyway, um, so for an adult, baptism is a is 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 really a seal. For the child, though who doesn't have access maybe to the grammar and the dialect and the information in the word of God, and yet the word is still powerful and effective, baptism is what brings it to the baby in a mysterious, miraculous way, a sacramental way, because it gives what it offers. And to an infant, that's how they get it. So you really have to look at baptism as kind of a supernatural thing when it comes to a child. Oh, it is. And, and, and with an adult also, because it brings you into God's family. The way that in the Old Testament... Circumcision did the same thing. Most of the, of the circumcisions in the Old Testament are done on adults. I mean, the ones that we're told about. There are only a couple circumcisions that are actually mentioned in the Old Testament that are where, where there's an infant that's involved. And I'm not sure off the top of my head if I can think of one. Because they're not that common. Um, even Moses' son Gershom was older than a newborn infant when he was bapt- when he was circumcised rather and I don't know if you know the story or not but God had commissioned Moses to go back to Egypt this is around Exodus 3 or 4 it's one of those chapters of Exodus God had told Moses to leave Midian go back to Egypt and say let my people go well on the way there and God had given Moses miracles to perform with uh, with the snake and so forth right and also with a leprous hand Although he doesn't do that one in Pharaoh's court that I, that I recall. It's just the, the, the snake and then the ten plagues. Well, on the way there, God comes hurtling across the desert to kill Moses. Why? Because he hadn't circumcised Gershom, his son. And, and, and uh, Saphra, Moses' wife, or Zipporah, depending on how you pronounce it, she takes a flint knife and circumcises the boy and lays the, the, the foreskin at Moses' feet and says, now you've made me a bridegroom of blood. You made me do this, you dummy. You know, you should have done it, and you made me do it, and she's not happy at all, and who would blame her? <laughs> not, it's not part of the Sunday school curriculum. Yeah, but it's an important account. Oh, yeah. Um, but so just as, I was, I was just making this point, that just as virtually none of the circumcisions that we see happen in the Old Testament are done to infants, and they're supposed to be eight days old or a week old, so also in the New Testament, when baptism is brand new, we have virtually no accounts of a baptism being done except on adults. And in fact, only one baptism I know of that was a woman. You know, it just, you know, we don't have that many stories. And so should it surprise us um, or should it make us despair when the Pentecostal or the Baptist attacks our position on baptism and says, well, you show me one story of an infant being baptized in the Bible. And well, you know, you've got Lydia's household and you've got the jailer at Philippi's household and households being baptized. But I mean, show me a story of an infant being circumcised in the Old Testament. You know, it was a brand new covenant. And so most of the people coming into the family, excuse me, of God were adults. So sure, most of the circumcisions are adults or most of the baptisms are adults in the New Testament. It's just bound to happen. 
But in Colossians, we have that the, there is this direct connection between circumcision and baptism that's made as the entry point of believers into the family of God. Under the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant was circumcision. Under the New Covenant, we have a couple of different aspects of the covenant. Lord's Supper, Jesus says, this is, this is the New Covenant I've given to you. But baptism as well. Baptism, the entry point. The Lord's Supper, the regular reminder that really wipes out all of the sacrifices. Because Christ is the one sacrifice. Well, here, here we jump to, to Mark 16, 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the, in the last chapter of Mark, Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Right. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. There is no parallel clause to baptized in that statement. There is nothing about whoever is not believed will be damned. There's only whoever does not believe will be damned or condemned. But the thing about baptism in the case of somebody who's not baptized is I would want to ask, why were they not baptized? Did they reject baptism as unnecessary or unbeneficial? And then they may have been misled about baptism by somebody doctrinally along the way. And that's really a shame because like you said, and you were exactly right, Baptism is, should be all about the gospel, all about blessings, all about, the, the word you used was comfort. Yeah, that, that amounts to the same thing. That's what baptism is. And so why reject that? Um, but somebody who was not baptized and like didn't have the opportunity, okay, then we have a different case entirely. And in our are, are, are in modern times, that's usually when we start talking about um, miscarriages and stillborn babies and things like that. Or uh, like, um, so, so my wife and I took great comfort from our daughters, Nola and Sarah Jane, who were, who were miscarried. Um, we knew that we had them. We knew that they were coming. We knew that they were girls. And then all of a sudden they were gone. Um, and there was no opportunity to baptize them. But then there's a guy like my grandpa, Othmar. Um, so you've heard the, the name Otto or something like that. Othmar is just the more formal version of that. But um, <coughs> he was basically a lifelong atheist. But my grandma, very strong-willed, Norwegian Lutheran is we're going to church and he and if he doesn't go to church that's his business but my kids are getting baptized my kids are getting are going to Sunday school my kids are going through confirmation class my kids are going to take communion so yeah they they did that and when my when my mother was little they were congregational because that was that was what the the that was the non-catholic church in their town but later um, they, they found a Lutheran church, and that's where mom and dad met. And so um, they, they joined the, our, our Wells church. Um, and uh, grandpa was still always, as, as a child, every Sunday for me was a new adventure in my grandfather trying to convert me to atheism. 
we would go to their house to watch the game after church, right? Grandpa didn't go to church. But then he would start talking to me about evolution. He's, and I'm like eight years old. He's trying to talk to me about all this stuff and I, that I didn't buy into. I remember my dad looking across the room, like winking at me, when Grandpa would be talking about, you know, you know the world is billions of years old. And Dad would wink at me, and I would like, okay, i got to listen to Grandpa, but I don't have to buy into it. And, you know, I'm just drawing a picture of a car or something, you know, and, and uh, you know, on the, on the, during, the, during the Packer game. And, and, um, uh, but then I'm 15, and my mother dies of lymphoma. That's his oldest child. She's just 40, and she dies of this cancer. And then in the 1970s, that was just a death sentence. Um, and... Ten years later, he gets the same cancer. And by this time, they've moved away to Florida. They're retired. And he's, he's got different troubles than my mom did, but, but it's cancer. It's not great. And he's older, you know, and is, is approaching 80. And um, <clears throat> this pastor, this Wells pastor, in Florida, starts visiting him regularly in the in the in the cancer ward, and is really a pest to my grandfather. God bless that man for being a pest to my grandfather, because then, um, a couple days, uh, uh, before, well, he, he's he's starting to really come into asking questions and answer questions and it was actually not not a couple of days but a couple of hours before the surgery when he was going to have his larynx removed he would no longer have a voice box he said i know that my savior is jesus and but the cancer had gotten up into his throat and so he he couldn't say anything after that but it, they're almost because he died shortly afterwards it's virtually his dying confession of faith and never really had an opportunity to be baptized you know, he came to faith, not Baptist. So it's the opposite of a, of a, of a miscarriage. Lifelong, you know, uh, atheism with a deathbed conversion. I wouldn't recommend anybody wait that long to come to faith, you know. Uh, but he has this, one, this deathbed conversion and didn't, wasn't able to be baptized. But then I, I had friends in school, in high school. I went to public school. I had friends who really did reject baptism. And so I'm not going to get baptized. There's no reason to get baptized, you know. And and, and you know, and and I was, you know, 14. 15. I I didn't know how to argue about this stuff, and because all I did was argue, I didn't realize, oh, only the gospel changes hearts. You don't can't argue anybody into heaven. Um, so you rejoice that people are baptized or that they have faith, and you hope that if they have faith but reject baptism, they're just misinformed. You know. I was going to say one other thing about this. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, a couple years ago, um, an older man uh, had been gone from St. Paul's for, or maybe maybe never a member of St. Paul's. I think maybe never a member. He came to me, though, and he asked, and he said, I, Reverend, I think I need to be baptized. And I, you know, you see, probably 90. And I said, you were never baptized? And he said, well... I don't remember, of course, and I can't prove it, and mom and dad are dead, and the family house burned down, and I don't have any record of it, and so I, 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 I don't think I was ever baptized. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I asked the man, 
you know, most of us are baptized when we're infants. Our parents just baptize us. And, and he said, I, I don't know if I was. And I, and I thought, he's not going to listen to me, no matter what I say today. He's not going to listen. But I thought, diagonal thinking. Sometimes diagonal thinking really helps. And I said, well, just for now, just tell me about yourself. He said, what are your, what are your parents' names? He told me. What are your grandparents' names? He knew two of them, but didn't know the other two. They were just grandma and grandpa. You know, fine. What are your aunts and uncles' names? This, this, and this, and this. And I, by now, he's kind of relaxed and calmed down. It's been a couple of minutes. And I said, what's your godmother's name? And, you know, oh, Aunt Millie. I said, well, you were baptized. He said, how do you know? And I said, you have a godmother. You can't get a godmother unless you're baptized. And I said, and he said, well, but she's dead. And I said, but she's your godmother. That she got that title by witnessing your baptism and partly so that today you would know, oh, I had a, bap- I had a godmother, therefore I was baptized. So, You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.